you looking at Nehemiah this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses. Here's God's word. Now when Sambala and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, there was no breach left in it. Although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambala and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirium in the plain of Ono. But, I, they, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop? while I leave it and come down to you. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sam Ballot, for a fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Gisham also, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and not a king will hear of these reports. So come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands would drop from the work, and it would not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Let us pray. Merciful Father, gracious Lord, we come before you pleading with you to bring your truth to our hearts. That it has to be your spirit, Father, that takes the preached word and apply it to my heart, apply it to all of our hearts. And so we pray that Christ would be glorified, that we would be encouraged in our lives today, that we would receive a word from you, that a word would penetrate into all the areas of our life and all the areas of our heart. And it will break down barriers. It will heal wounds, Father. It will encourage us this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Do you ever feel that your life is, is stuck in an odds game? What do you mean by that, Alex? It's... You're in the odds game where you feel like the odds are always against you, not in your favor. It's a hundred to one against you in the things you try to do and seek to do. A hundred and one against you in being set free from past pains, past hurts. A hundred to one against you from being healed up from brokenness. A hundred to one odds against you from having a good marriage from getting out of debt, for getting a job, or whatever it could be, you feel that it's always against you. Every day you feel they just keep stacking up like books on all sides. And as a result, some of us, including myself, we sometimes, we sometimes blame God for it all. It's his fault that these odds keep stacking up in my life. And God, he... He, you no longer see him as your heavenly father. 
he just becomes a Las Vegas Oz maker who constantly sets Oz against you, constantly working things against you, not in your favor. We, it's not like him and Jesus and the archangels are in the heavenly white room determining all the odds against everybody. They don't do that. Sometimes we feel that way. I feel that way. I felt that way this week. What about you? The odds are sometimes great. Sometimes we say, I just can't do it. The odds are too hard, Alex. Just let me hide. Just let me quit. What do we need to hear this morning? We need to hear, don't give up. It's too soon to wave the white flag or surrender. It's too soon. Remember Nehemiah. Remember all the things we've been talking about in Nehemiah since we started. He had odds against him, didn't he? But does he give up? Did he ever give up? Did he ever wave the white flag? No, he persevered. He persevered in the work against all the odds he faced, against all the things that came up against him. Why? Why could he do that? Because of his faith in the Lord God. A God who breaks the odds for his people instead of setting the odds against them. Against all odds, your God wins every time. Do you believe that? He is an on-time God. He might not come when you want him, but he will come. Do you believe this in the places where you live every day of your life? Not here on Sundays, not in Sunday school, not in officer training, not on Wednesday nights, but in those places where you live every day, those hard times. Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe he can, work, he can beat your odds, no matter what they are? Most of the time, we struggle to believe this. Oftentimes we forget it. And so we need to pray, Lord, help my unbelief today. Today. Not tomorrow or next week, but help it today. This is what we should pray. You see, the odds were always against Nehemiah, but every time the Lord beat him, even when, it was, when, he, when he was trying to go to Jerusalem, he had odds against him. What happened? The Lord moved, right? He moved in the heart of the king. With Sambalat and Tobiah, all the things they did, the Lord moved. The Jew on Jew exploitation, God helped him solve that. And here in chapter 6, he encounters more odds. More odds against him. The first one we want to talk about comes again from familiar foes who attempted to, yet again, undermine Nehemiah. And this time, they wanted him to make compromises. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafrim in the plain of Ono. When you read through Nehemiah, you can't help but to be amazed that the wall actually was completed because I mean, he had a lot going against him, a lot going against him. And even here, the text says the wall was built, no breach left in it. The work has progressed greatly to almost to completion, and yet the familiar foes did not give up. They kept coming. 
they kept coming to stand against him. And if you've been coming here since we started Nehemiah, then you know that these things are opposition. These things are having odds against him. Is are reoccurring themes in the book. They keep coming up. Every time they get something done on the wall, here comes the opposition. Every step of the way, the enemy's there. These are reoccurring themes in our life as well. Not the only themes, but two of many themes. Opposition, having odds against us. They're there. They're going to always be there. No matter how hard you work at taking the breaches out of your life, the cracks out of your life, your family, your community, your job, this world, you still going to have odds against you. I don't care how hard you work at it. You still going to have things to stand against you. But all of us are guilty in thinking that one day on this side of heaven, there are going to be no more breaches. There will be no more cracks. That we can do all that we can do to turn the tide in our favor. We just sit around. We can wait for our blessings. So we, we're going to work harder at trying to patch up all of our spiritual breaches, our relational breaches, our emotional breaches, our financial breaches, our vocational breaches. We can do all that we can do trying to make it all together, trying to, to hold it together. And when you feel like you almost got it, something happens. Someone else stands against you. And that deflates many of us. It deflates us because we think at some point in our Christian life we're going to reach this Christian level of maturity where we have a breach-free life. No more eyes against me because I'm here now. No. If that's our perspective, we're going to get deflated every day. Every day. Because we expect not to ever have breaches in our life. Expect never to have opposition and odds against us. Are you deflated this morning because of the odds against you? Are you like, what's the point? Are you getting ready to make a compromise? Are you getting ready to to give up? Have you given up hope? thinking that things are not going to get better anyway. Sometimes it feels easier to just give in. I felt that way. It's just easy to just give in and just give up. Just roll over. If you can't beat them, that's the mind where join them. Sometimes it feels easier to just compromise your values, your standards, your convictions, your priorities, even your beliefs. It's easier to just do that. But we can't. We're not alone in this. Nehemiah faced the same things here. Even though we said the the wall was almost completed, it didn't stop the enemies from coming. They even failed on several occasions, right? We we, we talk about that. They failed on several occasions to stop the work, and yet, man, they're like the Energizer Bunny. They just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. They won't stop. You would have thought they would have given up by now. But they keep trying and trying and trying. They will not give up easily. Still determined to put an end to the work. They were obsessed with it, man. It's like they had a a meeting to change the whole strategy. Because in the the first couple attempts, 
you know, they came at him like, as, as enemies. We're going to handle the work. But they came together, I guess, and had to re-strategize what they're going to do. All right? The, the, we, we tried the, the fear method. That didn't work. We tried to scare them with coming with them again in a war. That didn't work. So we got to try something different. How about we offer a hand of compromise to Nehemiah? Come on, Nehemiah. Come let us meet together, brother. Let the past be in the past. We friends. Let's just talk. We just want to talk. So come. Let us meet together. Is that really their intentions? Is that really a peace treaty? Let's be friends. Let's, let's make a compromise. They wanted him to stop his work, to come meet with them. And to make things even better, I guess they tried to pick a neutral location in the plain of Uno. On the surface, nothing seemed wrong with this request. Nothing seems wrong with it. But you've got to consider the source and the track record of the source. When you consider those things, it makes you question the trustworthiness of this request. Because underneath the surface of this is they still want to hinder the work. Four times they sent word to Nehemiah, come, let us meet together. Let us talk. Trying to get him to compromise. Trying to get him to quit the work to come meet with them. And what are the odds that Nehemiah would do that? What are the odds that he would make such a compromise? Would he give in? That's one. But the, the enemies didn't stop there. They kept persevering. They made a fifth attempt to meet with Nehemiah. This time they sent an open letter to him. Verse 5. The letter says, let me go up, okay. Yeah, verse 5. In the same way, Sam Ballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Gisham also, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building a wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have also set up prophets to proclaim you concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Not a king will hear this of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. What are they doing here? Intimidation. They trying to intimidate him into meeting with them. False threats, false accusations, trying to frighten him. Now these charges were false, but they're serious charges. Being accused of treason against the king meant death. That was a high, that's a high charge, even though it was false. And more serious for Nehemiah because that charge on him with trying to make himself king in Judah. And these, they're throwing everything at him. This is what this chapter should show you. They are throwing everything at him they can find, every rock, every stone, whatever they can do to undermine what he's gonna, his, his work, they're going to do it. They're going to do it. This, this attack was an attack on his character, on his reputation, on his motives, and even his loyalty. Even, even by sending an open letter not even, not, that's not sealed, anyone can read it. And what's the purpose of that? For the spread of rumor. Well, Nehemiah tried to make himself king. Well, that, that's, that can't be good. We need to tell the king of Persia that Nehemiah is undermining his authority, furthering the rumor throughout the, throughout the area, even before it reached Nehemiah's hands. Eyes of compromise, eyes of intimidation. Would he give in? 
would he give in? You see, Nehemiah's foes did not make it easy for him to fulfill his purpose, and neither were yours. You gotta get, we got to get that out of our mind, that it's just going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to be a good dad, to be a good husband, to be a good parent, to be a good wife, a good mom, a good employee, a good boss. It's not easy because you have things working against you. You have things working against you. Most of you know I've been, I've been doing uh, P90X now for like over six months. And you know, I just started my third round. You know, it's a home-based workout with DVDs and all that. And it's hard and it's challenging. And that first week and month was tough. Every day I had to talk myself out of quitting because I was sore in places I'd never been sore before. I had to give up foods I loved to eat. But I had odds against me that was not going in my favor. I had high cholesterol. My blood pressure was going up, over 300 pounds. I was not, I was headed down a dangerous path health-wise. So I had to make some changes. You know, I'd work out, I'd pray about it. I would, to the, I, would go, I would go to the gym, but I always would go back to my old habits. And so I started this program, and I decided I'm going to stick with it. I pray to God to help me to stick with it. And I made myself work out. Even if it was at 10, 11 o'clock at night, I was going to work out. You know, my personal trainer, Tony, as I call him, he, he always offers encouraging words to help you continue and not to give up. And I needed those words. I need to hear that every workout. And one of the things he would say is, don't say you can't, but say you presently struggle with. Do your best. Forget the rest. I love those words. Why? Because they're words of perseverance. Persevere against all the odds you face. Every day you got to let the spirit whisper persevering words in your ear. You got to let the word whisper persevering words in your ear every single day. Because every day you're going to want to give up. Every day you're going to want to quit. Every day you're going to feel like you can't go on. And if you're not letting the spirit your personal trainer, whisper truth into your heart, then you will. You cannot live this life without this, this, this. Not just listen to me on Sunday, but during the week. During the week, are you doing your P90X is this. This is your P90X. Are you doing it? Are you reading it? Are you letting the Spirit encourage you? You need it. I need it. We all need it. Nehemiah needed it. That's why he prayed in verse 9. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. See, it's easy to over-glorify Nehemiah in this book because he stands firm. he, He never gives up. I mean, you can read it and think, man, Nehemiah is like Jesus, man. He don't ever make no mistakes. But you can't do that. Don't do that. Every, every person in the Bible outside of Christ has issues. Nehemiah wasn't on some super spiritual level above where you are. He wasn't. Do you honestly think it was because of Nehemiah's good leadership 
that he accomplished what he did in Jerusalem? Was that the only reason he succeeded? Because he was a good leader? Do you? No. He was not on a different level than us. And what, what he does in this book against all the odds he's faced is something that every believer should do. He simply just persevered. He was grounded and growing in his faith. That's what's underneath all these pages here. His relationship with his God is underneath that stuff. Because if he wasn't grounded there, there's no way he would have stayed and went through the things he went through. He would stay because he knew God was for him. He knew God was on his side. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Nehemiah simply kept persevering against all the odds he faced. He persevered in not giving into fear, to temptation. He persevered in not giving into compromise and intimidation. And when he failed, guess what? He persevered through the failures. Nehemiah was not bulletproof to the shots that wounds us. He was wounded too. That's why he prayed. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Will you pray this prayer if you didn't need strength? Would you pray this prayer if you weren't feeling the pressure to give in? Would you? No. You wouldn't pray that prayer if you got it all together. Well, I, I got it all together. God, I can handle these guys. I, I'm going to do it in my own strength. You pray this prayer when you know your own weakness. You pray this prayer when you know your, your, your own tendency to give in to temptation. He knew that. And so he prayed, Lord, I need your preserving strength. I need your persevering strength in order to persevere against the odds. That's what you need. You need Jesus' persevering strength in order to persevere against the things you're going to face in this life. Do you ever cry out, Lord, strengthen my hands in the things that you face? Or do you just say, it ain't worth it? Do you ever say, Lord, Strengthen my hands in this situation, in this conflict, in this struggle. Or do you just throw your hands up and give up? Pray, Lord, strengthen my hands, hands that I may persevere through the odds that are against me. Nehemiah did. And his, he had a, his first response to, to the first um, odd against him is found in verses 2 and 4. Where he says, yeah, verse 2, he says, But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop and why I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah was not gullible and naive. He knew the intentions of, of these guys' heart. He knew what was really behind this request. It really wasn't a, them extending a hand of friendship. He knew these men hated him. He knew they hated the work. And they were up to no good here. This request for a meeting was nothing but a trap disguised as an offer of peace. So he says, I'm doing great work, guys. I'm busy. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Four times they sent the request, and four times he answered them the same way. And notice that his response to them wasn't nasty, it wasn't mean, it was calm, even respectful, and to the point. 
He did not, he did not personally attack them, even though they got under his skin. His focus was his focus was on greater priorities. That's where his focus was. He didn't have time to play the silly game of cat and mouse. Remember what he told them back in chapter 2 when they first came and opposed him? What did he tell them? The God of heaven would make us prosper. And we, his servants, will rise and build. But you, Sambalat, Tobiah, Gisham, have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. He told them that back in chapter 2. And that has not changed. That has not changed. In chapter 6, they still have no right. They still have no portion. They still have nothing to do in Jerusalem. And as I said when I preached on that, that, that verse, is that we give people and situations power over us. We do. Because we focus so much on them and not focus on the right thing. Focus on Jesus. Focus on him. And so you got to know that, that you, these things are going to come against you. Opposition is going to come against you. And how are you going to respond to them? How are you going to deal with them? How are you dealing with them? I guess that's a better question. How are you? His, his uh, response to the fifth request for a meeting was in the same way. Even when they accused him of trying to make himself king. Attacking his character, attacking his loyalty, his reputation. He simply said, no such thing you say has been done. For you are inventing them out of your own minds. He calls them liars without calling them liars. So I guess being political correct, I guess. These familiar foes were, again, were doing whatever they could do to frighten Nehemiah. But he knew that was their purpose. And again, why, how can he do those things? The God of heaven will make us prosper. That has to, that's what he's standing on. The God of heaven will make you prosper in whatever you face in this life. Man, I ain't going to be on your timetable, but he will. And this is what he did here. The wall was completed. You can, you, you can look over that sometime, but the wall was completed. Even though the doors and the gates were not, the doors were not put on the gate shit, he persevered. God still worked. The people built the wall. And so he never blamed God either for all the things he faced while he was in Jerusalem. He didn't blame God for all the attempts that Sambalat placed and Timbalia placed on him. Like we do sometimes, like I do sometimes. I was blaming him this week for things I was going through, as if it was his fault. I think a lot of us, you know, we need to have what I call a a Lieutenant Dan moment. Dan Taylor. You know him from Forrest Gump? We all need to have that moment when him and Forrest were stuck at sea and he got in that screaming match with God. We need to have those moments where we bend, give our frustration to God, to God. All the things you think God is doing to your life, you need to go to him and talk to him about it. Get it off your chest. You need to have a Lieutenant Dan moment. Today, next week, you need to have them. And when you vent to God about all the odds against you, the Spirit whispers truth into your heart. The Spirit says, your father 
is a Father of mercies, a God of all comfort, who comforts you in all your affliction, who gives good gifts to his kids, who makes all things work out to those who love him. So rejoice in hope of the glory of your God. More than that, rejoice in your suffering, knowing that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit whom he has given us. Perseverance is not a spiritual gift. If you think it is, it's not. It is produced in you through all the stuff you're going to face in this life. All those odds that are against you are producing perseverance in you. They are. There are. Have you accepted the fact? You got to accept the fact you're going to have odds against you all days of your life. You got to accept that. You also got to know that God of heaven will make you prosper. You got to know that. In Romans 7, you know, Paul talks about, about, about uh, this reality that, that, that he was facing in terms of you know, his struggles with sin. Even though he was, a, he was a Christian, he still struggled with doing things he shouldn't do. And I'm going to read to you what the Message Bible says in Romans 7. I, I love the words here, so bear with me. This is Paul saying, this is Paul. He says, but I need something more. For I know the law. But it still can't help it. But I still can't help it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, as such as they are, don't result into action. Something has gone wrong within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. I'm going to read that again. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. One translation says, when I want to do good, evil is close at hand. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. Just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything. Nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ does. The real answer is that Jesus Christ does. He acted to set things right in a life of contradictions. Where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Is that your life? Is that your life? Yes. It's everybody's life. There are million to one odds against you. They don't care what it could be. Sin, the world, the devil, all against you. But there's only one in your favor that really matters. And that odd is Jesus. 
and that odd is Jesus. The million to one odds don't stand a chance against him. Ever stand a chance against him. He wins every time. So is it your circumstances or Jesus? Is it going to be your failures or Jesus? Your hardships or Jesus? Your pain in the backside ex-boyfriend and girlfriend or Jesus? Your medical problems are Jesus. Your frustrations are Jesus. Your discomforts are Jesus. Your success are Jesus. Your righteousness are Jesus. Your financial problems are Jesus. My marriage problems are Jesus. Against all those odds, you still have the advantage. But many of you don't believe that. Because your faith is weak. So is mine. You know why the advantage is in our favor because your good and faithful shepherd will always and forever be your shepherd. Always. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how hard it gets. He is there in the midst of it all working on your behalf, sustaining you, providing for you, going to comfort you. you got to hold on to that truth that forever and ever and ever and ever, your God beats the eyes for you. And he did it first on Calvary. If you ever doubt it, look at the cross. Calvary is where he accomplished a lot of his work for us. There. Look at it. Bathe in it. Drink of it all the days of your life. Let us pray. Against all odds, Father, you are odds beater. For the, on behalf of your people. And I look at the cross, and that is definitely the case. Because there Christ defeated death, defeated sin, defeated the enemy. And he made enemies friends. He made we become friends of God because of Christ. No longer are we your enemies. No longer do we stand condemned. No longer are we separated. But through saving faith in him, where we are renewed. We are now sons and daughters the king of the universe. Christ in my prayer. Amen.